Hello and welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Show. I am looking at 2 Samuel chapter 16. So this is 2 Samuel chapter 16. When David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisin, 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. <laughs> um, lots of food, in other words, this banquet that this guy named Ziba brought out to David as he's just uh, going past this mountain. So the context is David is running away. You know, he is running away uh, from his son who has overtaken his kingdom uh, from the inside. You know, rather than fight this siege, uh, this uh, taking of control by his son, he runs away and um, um, suddenly there's this show of support by this guy named Ziba. Verse 2, the king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who've become exhausted in the desert. It sound really good. You know, they're tired. David and his men have been walking a really long distance. And, you know, this is for you. He's saying, you know, all this food, this is to refresh you on your journey. Verse three, the king then said, where is your master's grandson? Ziba said to him, he is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the house of Israel uh, will give me back my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Ziba, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said, may I find favor in your eyes, my lord, the king. So this is a bit sus or suspect because Ziba is saying that essentially uh, his master thinks that he can profit benefit from David's loss. You know, um, his master's name is Mephibosheth, verse 4. Mephibosheth is the grandson of Saul, King Saul, because his father is Jonathan. And uh, Mephibosheth, uh, according to Ziba, thinks that, oh, because David has now lost, my grandfather has now won, I will now benefit by being, you know, being king. Now is my opportunity to become the king. And I say that this is sus because, you know, we don't know if this is true, but also because Ziba seems a bit sneaky, a bit opportunistic. And um, I, I think he is lying. I think he is trying to trick David. But what's surprising is that he does succeed. You know, he succeeds in fooling David. And David says, okay, all right, everything that used to belong to your master now belongs to you. So he believes Ziba and... Yeah, uh, confers all uh, of Mephibosheth's um, property and wealth over to his servant, Ziba. Verse 5, as King David approached Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's house, Saul's family, came out from there. And lots of people from Saul's, Saul's family. Uh, verse 5, his name was Shimei, son of Gira, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David with all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, get out, get out. 
you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son, Absalom. You've come to ruin because you are a man of blood. And so he's accusing David of being a violent uh, man who killed lots of people, man of blood. And this man is from Saul's family. Um, so it kind of shows that even though David is now king, there is still this other kingdom that's competing with him and supporters of David's opponent, uh, Saul. And essentially what he's accusing David of is of, I think, killing killing the descendants of Saul, you know, or at least causing the death of all the people he used to support his uh, opponent. Uh, I don't think that's true, but um, this strong feeling was still there. I think they still feel as if David is not the rightful king. They don't want to submit to him. They still want to submit to their old king, even though he's dead. Um, uh, and even though it's not true, it isn't, you know, the feeling is still there and that kind of opposition but it's because David is now low and that, you know, he can't fight back that if you, okay, now's our opportunity to kind of like show him his place, you know, pour out this abuse on him. So he curses him to his face. Um, uh, what's surprising as well is he cursed him uh, with stones. Verse six, he pelted David and the officials with stones. This is one guy throwing all the stones at all all these military men, it mentions the troops and the special guard. So very bold, right? You know, you're just one guy, but this is a whole army. You're throwing stones at them. <laughs> they can kill you. Um, which leads to verse nine. Verse nine. And then Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeruiah, if he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? So David sees things very differently from his military general. You know, the military general says, you insult me, I kill you. You know, I am more powerful than you, therefore I will kill you. But David says, you know, what if, what if God is using this person to rebuke me? Uh, and and therefore, David is kind of like distancing himself from this power play, this show of who's the boss. You know, he says, in the end, you know, God's the boss. And God might be using this humbling and shameful situation of someone cursing me uh, to my face to show that, you know, actually I'm not the boss. You know, I'm not the king. And maybe I deserve this punishment. Very, very different um, kind of perspective. Um, you know, if, if you had, you know, someone's cursing you back to your face, you know, whether you think you believe you deserve it or not, if you had the opportunity to retaliate, you know, you probably would. I mean, I would. You know, so who do you think you are? You know, don't you know that I am, say, your boss? I am older than you. I know better than you. But what David goes is that, hey, maybe God is using this person to teach me a lesson. Verse 11, then David said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone, let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do so. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. 
verse 13, so David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. So the entire journey, there's this guy just throwing stones, throwing curses, and just abusing him every step of the way. And David's perspective is, you know, maybe if I learn this lesson, God will bless me. uh, I think um, already there is some application there. Uh, Okay, all right, verse 15. Uh, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. Then Hushai the archite, David's friend, went to Absalom and said to him, Long live the king, long live the king. Absalom asked Hushai, Is this the love you show your friend? Why didn't you go with your friend? Hushai said to Absalom, Know the one chosen by the Lord, by these people and by all the men of Israel, his I will be, and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve the son? Just as I serve your father, so I will serve you. So Absalom is David's son who has taken the kingdom from him. Uh, And he's done this in a very surreptitious way. He just got support from within the government, within the kingdom. And then, um, yeah, he just, he just took the throne, just like that. But as he enters um, the, the capital and the palace, you can think of it that way, uh, suddenly he meets Hushai the archite, verse 16, whom he knows is David's like, right-hand man, his friend. He says, you know, why didn't you follow David when you ran away? And Hushai says, you know, I'm here to serve you. But you can tell, you can tell that Absalom, you know, is still kind of suspicious. Is like, can I trust this guy? And um, th- that's with reason because David uh, has intentionally left Hushai there to be his inside man. So Hushai isn't quite telling the truth either. You know, Hushai is there on behalf of David to frustrate this um, change of power, if you like. Um, but yeah, um, Absalom says sus- suspicious. He he says, you know, you you're supposed to follow my father, you know, but you're following me now. And he just doesn't answer him. I think he's still thinking in his head, can I trust this guy? Can I trust this guy? Verse 20, Absalom said to Ahithophel, give us your advice, what should we do? So instead of trusting Hushai, he turns to this other guy, this other advisor, whom I think he does trust. He knows that Ahithophel is uh, supportive of him taking over from his father. And this is what Ahithophel says, Ahithophel. Verse 21 answered, lie with your father's concubines while he left, whom he left to take care of the palace. Then all Israel will hear that you've made yourself an offense to your father's nostrils and the hands of everyone with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof and he lay with his father's concubine in the sight of all Israel. Everyone could see him do this. So this was a power play to show that he really is the king. And this power play is essentially Absalom sleeping with every one of David's concubines in the side of, inside of the whole country. Uh, he's burning bridges. I mean, there's no way back. You know, he is now the king and he is just doing the most offensive thing to kind of like stick it to the boss, stick it to his man. And say, you know, and that, you know, he's sleeping with every one of his concubines. 
Verse 23, now in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of the one who inquires of God. <laughs> Everything he spoke was as if God was speaking through him. That's a very interesting verse, right? You know, this, this enemy counsel person. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. And that's how the chapter ends. Very, very dark. Uh, how, what do we learn from this? Well, I, I think the biggest picture is, you know, this really is God's judgment on David. You know, God is using all these events, as shameful as it is, someone cursing you to your face, as humbling as it is, you know, your own son, you know, um, embarrassing you in public to show that um, this is God's judgment on your sin. And in David's uh, situation, um, I think this is a fulfillment of chapter 12, chapter 12 and verse 12. Yeah, so this is what God says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you, God says to David. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who's close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did this in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And that kind of uh, phrase, all Israel, all Israel, you know, is God saying, you know, I will publicly display your judgment before everyone. And so everything that's happening here is really God's judgment upon David, you know, for uh, sleeping with Bathsheba, for killing Uriah, that sin that was done in private, God will now punish him in public. And I think that's why David's response throughout this chapter is kind of refreshing. You know, he, he, he accepts it. He recognizes that this is really um, his lot in life to accept that, you know, he's done wrong and God is punishing him. But he does say, maybe, maybe there is a way that God can bless me if I were to submit to his punishment. You know, he says again, verse 11, leave him alone. Uh, let him curse for the Lord has told him to do this. Verse 12, maybe the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. And this is a submission to God's judgment that says that you are God, I'm not. That I really need to learn this lesson from this punishment, I need to repent. And this is from the king. It shows his character and shows his submission and shows uh, God's uh, sovereignty in, you know, in causing all these events to happen, his own son to take over the kingdom, you know, Ahithophel to give the exact advice that will fulfill the prophecy of this punishment that you know, would embarrass him publicly. Um, how do we apply this? Uh, well, I think um, the wisest thing is to apply this to Jesus and then apply it to ourselves. You know, Jesus, um, the cross is almost God's public judgment upon our sin, but poured out upon his son. You know, God's public judgment that all our sin has been dealt with. All our sin is so horrible before God. He pours out all his anger, but he doesn't pour it out on us. He pours it out on Jesus. And so what we see in Jesus is Jesus' submission to his father until the end in taking on this full punishment and wrath and anger for our sin on the cross. And therefore we see that same character of submission to God, trusting in God for God's sovereignty and God's goodness and God's wisdom in pouring out judgment 
but also bringing about salvation, that kind of trust and submission that we see in the character of Jesus, who is our true king. So that's number one, we see this in Jesus. But secondly, therefore, on ourselves. You know, when we experience um, these humbling situations, there's always the temptation to uh, retaliate. You say, I don't deserve this. I think that's the instinctive response. You know, say, this is unfair. You know, I need to prove to everyone that I'm innocent. I need to show everyone that actually I don't need to accept this shame, this pain, this humbling situation. And maybe, maybe the alternative is to submit to God, to trust, you know, in the end that God knows right, that God will save us and he can and he will through Jesus. But that in the meantime, what we want to show is that we are trusting in him. And it might, need, it might mean that um, we are enduring this pain. We are being patient and we are not fighting back. There will be people coming to us trying to take opportunity of the situation like Ziba. You know, that's what he did. There'll be people egging us on, hey, fight back, you know, like, like Abishai. You know, he says, says, you know, you have the power to fight back and to show them that you still have some measure of influence, some measure of control, you're still the boss. And you need to resist that. You need to recognize that maybe the true boss, the true king is God, and there is a lesson to be learned from this. Um, yeah, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that in Jesus we see a better way in repentance and submission to your will, especially when times are tough, especially when we can't see why this difficult situation is happening and it just feels so humbling and shameful. Help us to trust that you are wise, that you have poured out all judgment on Jesus and to see in him his full submission and trust in you. And therefore we can do the same. We can trust in you. We can submit to you in all situations, especially those difficult ones in our lives. For anyone who's facing this right now, I pray for them that they know that they're not alone, that you know Jesus has walked this path before them and that they can see on the cross you know, all their punishment already dealt with. There is no more condemnation, but all that is left is restoration, and all that is left is your love and your grace and your forgiveness through Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.